Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I had um, a dear, dear woman who um, I really, really <laughs> am growing to love more and more and more. But she sent me a word that have been received uh, for this region by a gentleman who is in Atlanta, Georgia. And he is a pastor who, who moves in the prophetic. And when we read this word, we were like, ooh, we need to take note of this. And it started off with a man who is in charge of this particular site on YouTube. said, I don't normally share a word just for a particular region, but he felt like this was something that was very, very important for all of us. So I'm going to read to you what I received that was in this website. Um, it's an offshoot from Elijah Streams. It's, um, uh, anyway, the gentleman's name is Pastor Edmonds out of Atlanta, Georgia, and this is what he wrote. Recently, the Lord spoke and told me to up my prayer time and seek him for a specific number of days. During my time of increased prayer, the city of Houston and the surrounding areas were heavily placed on my heart. I kept seeing the landscape of the area and hearing Houston as I was before the Lord. Over the six-day period, there was an unfolding revelation in regards to the heaven's desires for this region. In a vision, the areas southeast of Houston as far as Galveston and northeast of Houston as far as Beaumont. We're smack in the middle of that. Um, and the, uh, were highlighted to me. It was revealed that God it, it desired to move in a new and greater way in this area, which I will now call Greater Houston for the sake of this article. God spoke to me about this, his plan. He first said, I am awakening a sleeping giant. He described the region as a sleeping spiritual giant. He said that he would awaken many leaders in this region by expanding their vision for ministry and pouring out greater manifestations of Holy Spirit. Two, God will use this region as a hub to restore prayer to the nation. I saw a prayer movement stirring up out of the territory, causing fires of intercession, prayer groups, and prayer hubs springing up in the cities and in the regions in other parts of the south and west coasts. I saw a vision of a great prayer gathering in Washington, D.C. The Lord impressed upon me that there have been many other large prayer gatherings in our nation's capital, but they have often only become one-day events and fizzle out after the events are over. In contrast, the large prayer gathering in this region will spark a prayer movement that will sweep over the nation. And number three, I saw this city as a kind of spiritual hub or headquarters for the southwestern portion of our nation. 
The Lord reminded me of how Tulsa, Oklahoma had become the de facto headquarters and power center for the charismatic movement during the 1980s. And we had things such as um, Oral Roberts University, Rama Bible College and Training Center, Victory Christian Center, and many other influential ministries arise in that region during that time. God is raising up and empowering many notable and influential ministries from this greater Houston region and will have an international voice and reach that will affect the paradigm of the body of Christ within the nation. And the people say amen and hallelujah. May your word be manifest in our presence, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you call us out and you tell us that we need to pray for our nation, for ourselves, and that you are awakening up a spiritual, spiritual giant that will be moving in our midst. We give you all the glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we've been praying every week, on typically on Wednesdays, for, I don't know, seven, eight years. And uh, we never know the impact of those prayers and how God is moving in ways that we may not, we may not ever know. But I want to encourage us to continue to press in and continue to pray. And I hope you'll join us this coming Thursday and then on Wednesdays there forthcoming. So I'd like to release the Warrior Youth and the Kingdom Kids to go back at this time. And I want to thank all of you again for joining us. Thank you for watching online. We're in this series called Commitment. I think it's really interesting. I, I thought Al did a great job of leading us in communion this morning. And in talking about our commitment, realizing the importance of what Jesus has done. And then this word that Pastor Christine just read. And today uh, in, this, in this series, Commitment, I'm going to be talking about some of the keys to commitment. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Not that we would just live a marginal life, but the keys are found through our relationship with him. And in John, let's go to John chapter 6, verse 47 and 48. Jesus is talking here and he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. I was thinking about the scripture. Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Because do, let me ask you this, do demons believe Jesus exists? Yeah, they know he exists. And they knew who he was and they know who he is. Let me ask you another question. Do demons have eternal life? We know that there's a place set aside for them. It's called hell that was not designed for us to go to, but for the demons and for Satan. And so they, Jesus, this scripture says, anyone who believes has eternal life. Well, we know that the demons believe in Jesus. They know who Jesus is. But he's not talking about uh, them having eternal life with him. He's talking about us having eternal life with him. Uh, you know, I've heard people say things like, well... I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus was a good teacher or a prophet. Well, that is so great because you're in line with the demons from hell. They know that Jesus existed too. But do you have a relationship with him? Because there are people that believe in Jesus, that worship pagan gods, 
There are unbelievers that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that reject Jesus, who know that Jesus lived. So I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Believing in Jesus, believing that he lived and maybe even died on the cross and rose again, does not equate to a relationship with him. Recognition of Jesus does not equate to believing in him. Oh yeah, I've heard about Jesus, I've read the Bible. But I really don't believe the things that he said. Like, like Al talked about this morning. When we, we, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God? In John 6, 48, Jesus goes on to say, Yes, I am the bread of life. Bread here is denoting heavenly food that gives eternal life. He's not just talking about some of the bread that we eat, but Jesus gives us abundant life here on earth as well. So he is the bread of life for eternity so that we can come into this relationship with him and live for eternity in heaven with him. But he's also providing bread on earth for us to sustain our lives. My first point is believe it. In order to commit to something, we have to believe it. We're not going to commit to having a relationship with Jesus if we don't believe he existed. Or if we don't believe that he uh, lived and, and, and uh, died on the cross to pay the ransom for all of our sins and, and rose on the third day and lives again and said, I send the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. So we have to believe the Word of God, we have to have belief and faith in Christ. John chapter 1, 1 through 5, this is a familiar scripture for many of us. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And we know in verse 14, we'll talk about it in a minute, the Word is referring to Jesus. In the beginning, the Word, Jesus already existed. The Word, Jesus was with God. And the Word, Jesus was God. He, the Word, Jesus, existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, through Jesus. And nothing was created except through Him. Jesus is God. He created everything. The plants, the sun, the moon, the stars, people, birds, armadillos, deer. All of those things. He created but he also gave life. Verse 4, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. So in this scripture, he's talking about physical things, that he brought life to everything. But I think there's a spiritual element to it as well, that he brought light to everyone. What does light do? Light dispels the darkness. He came to bring light to the, word, uh, to the world, to reveal, to expose, so that we could see the truth. Jesus created us and gives us life. The spiritual light of Jesus is resident within us to shine his light, his love, into a dark and dying world. You know people that are dying, maybe not physically, but spiritually, that are lost, that don't have a clue where to go or where to turn. 
There's no hope. <laughs> There's no hope in the world system. Verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light of Christ in us, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through, the light of Christ can never be extinguished because it's greater than the world systems, it's greater than our circumstances. It's nothing can extinguish this light in us. And then skip ahead to verse 14. So the Word, Jesus became human and made his home among us. Clearly, he's, the Word is talking about Jesus here. Jesus is the Word. And he came to give life. And he came to shine his light of love into a darkened world. Verse 14 continues. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Clearly when we read these scriptures, it's describing Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. Our lives should be pointing people to Jesus. Our commitment begins as we believe in Jesus and all he says he is. If we, if we don't get that, we miss the whole point. We have to believe and not just recognize the name, but we have to believe, we have to have faith in Jesus and all that he says he is. So my first point is believe it. My second point is receive it. Have we received him? Oh, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, yes, I believe that you must have a relationship with, with Christ to, come, to go to heaven and, and to come into this broken relationship with God that was destroyed. But I don't know that I'm going to receive it. We have to believe it. We have to receive it to become committed. I'm talking about commitment today, which is lacking in the Christian environment. In the Christian culture, people are not committed. So do we, do we believe this? Okay, just stop for a moment. Close your eyes and, and say, do I, do I really believe this? Do I really, really believe that Jesus is God? Do I really believe that he loves me enough to die for all my sins? Oh, yeah, I know he'll, he loved so-and-so enough or he loved them enough, but do I really believe that, that he loves me enough? To die for my sins. And will I receive it? Will I see, receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness? Because I can believe that he did it for someone else. I can even believe that maybe he did it for me. But am I willing to receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and walk in this freshness and this newness of life that Jesus came to give because I can choose not to and be bound up by guilt and shame and stuck in all the stuff that I was stuck in. When Jesus has come and said, I have the key to your prison. I'm unlocking the door. I'm opening the door. And I'm asking you to come out. But yet, there are people that won't come out. They believe but they may not receive. Do we seek him with expectation? In our heart, we may think, well, I believe Jesus can fill in the blank. 
but do I really have faith to receive it? Those are two different things that are critical to this commitment that we believe that's where it begins, but that we receive as well. That we can walk in the freedom and the liberty that Jesus came to give us and not be bound up. You know, sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way we want. Imagine that you have a, a, a Porsche or a Maserati or a Bentley or some expensive car, and you tell your son or daughter, when you get older, this, this car is yours. And on their 10th birthday, they say, hey, Dad, I, I think I'm ready for that car now. <laughs> he would say, oh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Because you don't have the experience. You don't have the maturity. You're not ready. You're not ready for this car. And so sometimes God's timing is different than ours. I remember when I was working in industry, I, I was really pushing to get promoted to the, the next level, the highest level that I could be promoted to. And my boss had a phrase that I've come to appreciate a little bit more, but I didn't appreciate it very much then. I'd say, Paul, uh, I've, I've met all my goals this year. I exceeded all the expectations. I've done everything that was asked of me and more. I'm ready to be promoted. And his answer would be, Mark, I think you need a little more time in grade. In other words, I needed a little bit more time at the level that I was at to prepare me for the next level. I hated that. But every year, for two or three years, well, Mark, you need, I know, a little more time in grade. Because I had to prove that I was really ready to, to be promoted to that next level, that I could handle it. Okay, I was handling what God had given me or what my boss had given me right then, but I needed to uh, demonstrate that I was ready to go to that next level. And so sometimes it's God's blessing that He withholds a little while because we're not ready, because it could damage us. I've told you the story before where Pastor Don at our home church was um, appointing elders, and he told me that I was his first choice, and the Lord told him no. And I'm so glad because I was not ready. And I saw other men that were promoted, and they blew up because they weren't ready. And I'm so thankful that the Lord spoke to Pastor Don and said, don't, uh, don't put Mark in that position as an elder. It would have damaged me. And so I've, I'm thankful to the Lord sometimes when he says, no, I'm going to hold off a little bit because I want to make sure that you're ready. So sometimes God's timing is different than ours because we want it right now, right? We're, we're a culture of instant gratification. I want it, and I want it now. I'll pay for it later, but right now I want it. And sometimes the results are different than our expectations, I, I never thought that God would honor me with the position of planning a church and being a senior pastor. I was really never, really never looking for that. I was happy playing drums on the praise and worship team and serving in wherever areas I could, in life groups and college and career groups, different areas of ministry. I was happy with that. But see, God was doing something in my heart and in my life that I didn't expect. 
something much greater and, and, and much more important for me that he had for me that I would have been happy just playing drums on a praise and worship team. I love to worship. But he's, he had a different expectation for me. He had a different calling for me. He had a different purpose and plan. But I had to go through some stuff to be prepared. See, we can't manipulate the Lord. People try. Oh, if you give $77, God's going to bless you. You're going to be a millionaire. You're going to get a Rolex watch and a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> well, if God wants to give that to you, that's great. But maybe, just maybe, God really knows what's best for us. I know, I know our children like to eat 12 pounds of jelly beans, but it wouldn't be good for them. They would suffer the consequences. And some of us adults have to put restraints on things like that too. But things happen in God's perfect timing. So we may not be able to make things happen. We can't make the Lord do something. Is there something we can do? I think there is. We can uh, position ourselves with expectation to receive all that he has for us. We can position ourselves with expectation for all the things that the Lord has for us, that we're ready to receive. I remember when I was younger, I played uh, baseball, and my dad was my, my first coach. He was a great coach, great dad. And, uh, and he told us, he said, well, I, I like to play in the outfield. I like center field, although I played first base and shortstop and pitched in different places. But, but I really liked being in the outfield and center field. Um, because if the ball was hit to left field or right field, I was flying over there to get behind that, that other teammate in case they missed the ball. Or if the ball was hit to second, uh, the second baseman, I was headed that way so I could get behind him. So if it's a ground ball and, and it got past him, I was there. Uh, if, if, you know, wherever the ball was hit, I was headed that way as a backup. It was, was hit to me. I was focused on that. But he, he told us, he said, before the pitch ever gets thrown... Know what you're going to do with the ball if it comes to you. If it's a ground ball, if it's a fly ball, know in your mind what you're going to do with that. Know how many outs there are. Be prepared. Position yourself to receive that ball and then know what you're going to do with it. And, and so, like, if, if there was a, a man on uh, first base and, and third base and I caught a fly ball, fly ball, I was going to throw that guy out at home play because he had to tag up. So I was going to throw that ball. And I could do that. I did that. It's pretty amazing. Uh, thank you, Lord. But here's the thing. I, I was positioning myself. I was waiting with expectation. And I was ready. I was ready to receive that ball. And so commitment is one of the critical keys to our life. And unfortunately, I see a lack of commitment in the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says that, that we are to encourage one another with acts of love and good works. 
and that we are not to neglect meeting together, especially as we see the time of the Lord drawing near, but we're to meet together to encourage one another and strengthen one another. And unfortunately, in the, in the body of Christ, people, the, you know, people are coming to church once a month, once every other month or whatever, because life gets so busy and things take priority over coming together and, and worshiping on a, on a Sunday morning. Giving our first to God, giving the first day of the week to Him. And I know people that, well, there's a game on today. Or there's this going on or that going on. And so we're going to miss church. But what are we demonstrating to our family? What are we demonstrating to our children? Okay, well, this takes priority over God because whatever you do in, mod- in moderation, your children will do in excess. So if we're not training them and equipping them that coming to church on Sunday is important, what are they going to walk away with? What are they going to teach their children and your grandchildren and your great-great-great-grandchildren? What's going to happen is they're going to follow the examples of what they've been taught. And so every morning, every Sunday morning, your neighbors, they, they see you coming and going. They don't have to ask, oh, I wonder where they're going. They know. They know where you're going. <laughs> going to heaven, one. But, uh, but you're going to church, right? And so people are watching. Our children are watching You know the answer to this. How do children learn? Example, example, example. How are your grandchildren going to learn? Example, example, example from your children. That's going to be passed down. That's a generational thing that's going to carry forth. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to church on Sunday because that takes priority over whatever. Commitment is critical. And when you come here on Sunday morning, you're going to be fed the Word of God. When you you go to life groups, you're going to be fed the Word of God and you're going to build relationships with other people. Encourage one another to acts of love and good works. And don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Commitment. That's what we're talking about. Commitment. Are we really firmly committed to the Lord Church doesn't save us, but these relationships matter. They are eternal. We need one another. Jesus appeared to his disciples one time when, when Thomas was absent. And Thomas said, well... You know, I'm not going to believe until I see the, the wounds in Jesus' hand and stick my fingers in to the side where he was wounded. Eight days later, the, with the doors locked, the disciples are in this room. And Jesus just, poof, shows up. And suddenly, the word says, suddenly Jesus is standing there and he's like, yo, dudes, what's up? No, that's not what he said. He <laughs> He said, peace be with you. And Jesus would just show up. This was after his death on the cross, after his resurrection. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 27 through 29, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in, into the wound in my side. Now, how did Jesus know that that's what Thomas was wanting? Because he's God. He knew. He knew Thomas. He goes on to say in verse 27, Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And I think it's in, in Luke 24 where uh, Jesus is saying, Look, I, I'm not a ghost. You have something to eat? <laughs> Ghosts don't eat anything. He's like, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. But he says, don't be faithless any longer. Here's a man that had walked with Jesus for three and a half years, seen him do miracles. Jesus had told him multiple times, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Jesus revealed himself to the other disciples. If nothing else, didn't Thomas believe what the other disciples told him? Hey, guess what? We saw Jesus. He was here. Well, I'm not going to believe unless I can stick my fingers in his wounds. So do we believe? Do we believe? And then Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus says in verse 29, Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about us. Now, I know of a couple of people that have, that have had an encounter with Jesus where they've actually encountered Jesus. I have not, other than through the Holy Spirit and, and His Word and things like that. But he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. But we have the, the, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us giving us confirmation of this relationship with the Lord. So some of the keys to our life are faith, implementation of truths and principles found in the Bible, obedience, having this authentic relationship with Jesus that we talk about every week. What's our mission statement? To develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And the vision or the result or the goal is that we become disciples who will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. It's about Him. It's about us having this relationship with Him. We will never, ever stop talking about that. Because He is the focus. He is the primary reason that we come together so that we can be built up. So that we can enhance and grow in our relationship with Him. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how many toys you have. What's your relationship with Him like? And we're growing. This is a lifelong growth process <laughs> that God has taken us through. Jesus tells His disciples that He's going to die and prepare a place in heaven for them. In John 14, 1 through 14, don't let your, your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Oh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm sorry, it's full. We don't have room for you. 
He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And he said, in Matt, we know in Matthew 28, he said that I'm not abandoning you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you, to guide you and lead you. But he goes on to say here in, in John 14, 4, And you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5, No, we don't know, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you are, where you are going, so how can we know the way? I think sometimes Jesus would set up the disciples or the Pharisees or people. I think sometimes the Lord sets us up too to ask the question, to get us to think, to get us to remember what he's told. No, we don't know where we're going. How can, how can, you, how can we know the way? And so Jesus takes that opportunity to answer their question. Listen, when Whenever Jesus asks ask a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> so he says in 14.6, Jesus told him, I am the way. You want to know where I'm going? It's through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the gate. I am the way. So where I'm going is where you're going. But do you believe? <laughs> do you receive it? You know, you, have you ever seen those, those bumper stickers coexist? That's not, as a Christian, that doesn't work. <laughs> we, we can't coexist with worshiping other gods. I mean, it's just, there's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, not through coexisting or all these other things or worshiping these other pagan gods or doing all this stuff. Remember last week I talked about how Moses, and, and time and time again, Moses was pleading with the children of Israel, do not worship these other gods when you go into the promised land and you interact with these other tribes. Stay away from them. They had just come out of Egypt where Egyptians had all these gods. And Moses is telling the Israelites, don't get sucked into that. The Hindus have multiple gods to appease all of them, 44,400 gods, something like that, because they have all these gods so that they don't make any of them mad. From what I understand, Muslims serve a, a god that's not a personal god. You can't really have a personal relationship with their god. And... Jesus came that we would have this personal relationship with him. Jesus is the only one that's, that's worshipped or has been worshipped that, that was resurrected. He's the only one. So my first point is believe it. We have to believe these things. Secondly, we have to receive it. And third, you're going to know this one. We're going to go out and live it. So we believe it. We receive it. And if we really believe it, and if we really receive it, then we're going to go out and live it. There's going to be a change in our hearts and lives, and we're going to put some flesh on this thing, and we're going to live this thing out. John 14, 7. If you had really known me, Jesus said, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I'm him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time? And 
Oh, actually, it was Philip who said this right. Uh, have I been with you all this time? No, I love this. There's a comma there. Have I been with you all this time, comma? Philip, comma. Philip, I'm talking to you. Have I been with you all this time and still you don't know who I am? Have you ever had someone accuse you of something or say something and you're, 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 you're really hurt, you're wounded? Because you're like, I thought you knew me. I thought you knew that I wouldn't steal anything from your house. I, I, you know, I thought you knew me. But apparently you don't. Because if you would have really known me, that wouldn't have ever even entered into your mind. And Jesus is saying, Philip, have I been with you all this time and still you don't get it? <laughs> There's hope for us. <laughs> if Philip didn't get it, Thomas didn't get it, if some of the disciples were confused and they didn't get some stuff, there's hope for us when we don't get it. But Jesus is not trying to hide things from us. But sometimes we have to press in a little bit. Sometimes we have to say, Lord, I, I need some clarity on this. Can you shine your light in, into the situation? He goes on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Philip? Mark, fill in the blank. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one. And the best way that I can, can begin to understand this, because as we begin to break that thing apart and try to understand it, we get more confused. But we are a three-part being too, a physical body, a soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, our passions, our rationale and logic. And then we have a spirit man. And if you take one of those things out of me and replace it with somebody else's, then I'm no longer Mark Johnson. I'm a hybrid of somebody else. Just before, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in, in John 14, 11, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. The people were amazed at the miracles and the things that, that Jesus did. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. And I'm disturbed, family, that we're not seeing the same things that Jesus did resident in our lives. We've prayed for people and people have been healed. We've never prayed anybody for anybody and raised them from the dead. Not yet. So, do we believe what God says? Today, we, we sang, even when I don't see it, you're working. Do you believe it? Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Can we trust God enough to say, you know what, Lord, I don't see it. 
And frankly, right now, I don't feel it, but I believe it because I believe you, and I know you are true. So a couple of sub-points here. I mentioned this one earlier. Our commitment begins as we believe in Jesus and all he says he is. We, in Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Do we believe that? A second sub-point here is, and we need to believe all that he has told us we can do. What's it take? It takes faith. It takes positioning ourselves to be ready. When that ball is hit to the center fielder, that center fielder is ready, man. He was positioned like this with his hand back here so that when he caught that ball, it was close to his right hand and he could throw that guy out at home plate, tagged up at third base. Twice in one game. <laughs> James 2.26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith is demonstrated through good works. Faith, having strong confidence in, reliance upon, uh, trust built on Jesus. That's where our faith is. So faith is dead without good works good works don't save us good works are a result of our faith again hebrews 10 24 and 25 encourage one another to what acts of love and good works now we can do some good things but be out of out of god's will because we we have moved too quickly or we haven't waited on the Lord, or the Lord hasn't told us to do that. But the key is this relationship, and it begins with this commitment to Him. I'm committed to you, Lord. I'm committed to waiting on you, Lord. John 14, 13 and 14. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Oh, great, I want a Rolex watch and a Mercedes-Benz. Let's look at the next scripture. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. If the Son is bringing glory to the Father by giving me a Rolex watch, that's great. But if I'm asking for things out of selfishness and, and self-ambition, I may not be asking in accordance with what the Lord wants for me because it may be harmful to me. It may cause me to be a spoiled brat. It may cause me to think I can manipulate God and make my, put, take God off the throne and put Mark on the throne. Commitment. Yielding to Him. And saying, Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. And Jesus goes on to say, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. He's a good, good Father. He wants to bless us, but He wants to bless us in a manner that's going to be a blessing to us that's not going to be destructive to our lives or to our family or, or people around us. Believe it. Receive it. Live it. 